Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We continue our series on an invested Christmas. As we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day, for so much for all you do for us. Father, it is our privilege to serve you because you gave all to us. Father, as we look at this story today, help us to be reminded of how much these people invested into the first Christmas. Father, would it be a challenge to us and an encouragement to us to give and to invest into the kingdom of God this Christmas? Father, I pray that your will be accomplished here today. If there's one here that does not know you as personal Savior, then I pray that today would be that day that they understand Jesus Christ is the only way to go to heaven, the only way to receive eternal life. And Father, I pray that you would convict, change, and help us this morning. We love you so much. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Here's my first question for you this morning. Have you ever taken the time to add up how much time you spend in your hobbies? Have you ever taken the time to add up how much time you spend in your hobbies? Okay, this is an interesting thing. How about this? Even this is worse. How much money you spend on your hobbies? This would be a terrible question to ask. If your spouse ever asks you this question, plead the fifth. Okay, most of us avoid these types of questions because we don't want anybody to know how much time or money we spend on these things. Okay, for some guys it's golf. You can spend a lot of money on golf. Like a lot of money. For some, it's boats. You can spend a lot of money on boats. For some, I, ladies, I don't even know what you guys do. Right? Shopping, right? Like, you can spend a lot of money shopping. I don't know what you do. Play with Barbie dolls, whatever you do. We spend a lot of time, and we spend a lot of money in our hobbies. All right? Now it's confession time. I love to hunt and fish. Those are my hobbies. I love being outside. And I have to be honest, I have thousands, thousands of dollars in hunting and fishing equipment. Now, I'm not selling them, so don't even ask. My wife knows this already. She knows everything there is to know about all this. But I also have spent tens of thousands of hours enjoying these two things. I'll take a week at a time and enjoy hunting. I'll take a couple of days and go fishing. I love hunting and fishing. I spend a lot of time and a lot of money on those two things. And don't look at me like I'm terrible because you all have something, all right? Take some time, add it up. You'll be surprised. It's disgusting. These are things that I enjoy doing, and all of you have something. And honestly, I can easily justify the cost. It's really easy. Really easy. I, I struggle to buy clothes, okay? I hate buying clothes. Don't buy me any clothes. I hate clothes. I don't want clothes. But they're necessity. But it's a begrudging, like, I really don't want to spend this money right now. But if I'm going into Bass Pro Shops, man, the money just comes out of nowhere. Whoa, yeah, here we go. Let's spend some money because I can justify it. Do I really need that $30 lure? That's probably going to break off the first time I throw it anyway? Probably not. But I want it. This is what I do. This is what I want to do. Thank God I don't have any more hobbies. We'd be broke. 
I look forward to the times that I can spend doing my hobbies, enjoying the opportunities that I get to enjoy the outdoors. I love the week that I get to take to go hunting. I long for that week. It's over now. I'm already looking forward to next year. I'm so excited about it. I look forward to it. It is something that I love. I love it. I love being outside. It's so much fun. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of money. But I love it. It's easily justifiable. We easily justify spending money on our hobbies because we love them. Some of you, as I'm just looking around the room, some of you is woodworking. You spend a lot of money in woodworking tools. Listen, we invest time, we invest energy, we invest money into our hobbies. Why? Because we enjoy them. We love them. We enjoy doing them. It's something that we just do. Now, how many of you would invest money into something that you don't love and you don't enjoy? Anybody? No one. Nobody would invest time and money into something that you do not enjoy. All right, you're normal people then. No one in their right mind would invest in something that they don't benefit from. Nobody would. We want to benefit from it. We want to enjoy it. We want to love it. We want to be a part of it. In fact, this is often the determining factor whether we invest in something or not. Listen, if you invest in the stock market, you don't invest in the stock market to not get a return, right? Okay, come on, wake up now. (laughs) Because I think this is pretty important. If we don't get this, we might as well just shut her down and go home. Would you invest in the stock market if there was no return? No. Because we don't just throw our money away like that. You might say, well, I throw my money away on other things, but you enjoy them. Listen, I've thrown my money away on McDonald's. Literally thrown it away. But man, it just tastes so good going down. After that, it stinks, man. It's terrible. I had McDonald's the other day. I felt so sick. I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to eat McDonald's again. Within two weeks, mark it down, I will have McDonald's again. Something addicting. Right? We don't invest in something if we don't enjoy it. We don't invest in something unless it benefits us something. I do not want to give my time to something that I don't enjoy, that I don't benefit from. With all of the things that we could spend time or money in on in our lives, We want it to benefit us or at least be able to enjoy it. And this brings us to our next story in an invested Christmas. This is the story of the wise men. The wise men. So Matthew chapter 2, look with me in verse 1. The Bible says this. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard 
the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Again, I think every one of us has heard this story. Every one of us has heard something about the wise men and how awesome, how wonderful it was for them to come and bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What a wonderful opportunity it was for these men. But again, don't just read over this quickly. Don't just burn through this passage and think, wow, well, that was a great story. Let's move on. Think about the implications of these three men, or we really don't know how many men there were. We sing, we three kings of Orient are, but the reality is we have no idea how many there were. But these men come, and we often will just burn by this, but don't miss it. These men are from the east. Now, this is not a specific city. There is no city that I'm aware of that's just called the east. Okay, so we don't actually know. We just know they were from east of Jerusalem. We believe Quite far from the east, it is assumed that they traveled nearly 2,000 kilometers. 2,000 Think about that. 2,000 kilometers. This would have taken anywhere from a month to two months of traveling, depending on how often or how long they stopped. If you just rode it straight, you could probably get there in a month. If you took a few stops and you spent a couple days just resting and all of these different things, if you traveled 12 hours a day, if you traveled uh, 8 hours a day, we don't know how long they traveled, but it could have taken anywhere between a month and two months. Again, don't let that just burn by you. Listen, a month to two months of traveling. I know grandparents who wouldn't make that trip to see their grandkids. That's a long, long time. Listen, we don't understand this anymore. We have cars. We have planes. Listen, if you were to fly from Nova Scotia or Newfoundland all the way to British Columbia, it would not take you a month to two months. If you were to drive it, it wouldn't take you that long. Listen, we do not understand the magnitude of this. These men, assumed to be advisors to the kings in the east, travel for at least a month through dry, dusty, rocky climate in the Middle East just to see a baby that they didn't know. Do you understand that? Just to see a baby that they had no connection with. Again, grandparents may make a trip out west in order to see their grandchildren, but the reality is, they had never even met this person before. They had never seen him before. They did all of this for a baby that they did not know or have never met. Now, I'll be honest. I have trouble traveling to Toronto to see a baby. I have family in Toronto. Come, we just had a baby. Or we're having a birthday party. Listen, that's not all enticing to me. We go up there for an hour, spend an hour or two up there, and drive two and a half hours back. No, thank you. I don't like doing that. I, I struggle with that. 
wise men travel this long to see someone that they didn't even know. So why in the world would they do this? Why in the world would they put themselves through so much? Why would they walk so much? Why would they ride horses or camels or whatever they rode? Why in the world would they spend so much of their time? By the way, they had to travel back. Right? So we're up to two, maybe four months, depending on different circumstances. Why in the world would they spend so many resources? I mean, this was not just a jump in the car and let's run up to Toronto real quick. This is a big commitment. Huge. Why would they put so much time and effort into meeting a little child? Very simply, I just want to give you a four-word statement. They had a purpose. They had a purpose. The reality is, listen, my hobbies, man, they're fun. I enjoy them. But do they have a purpose? Oh, you, Pastor Yeomans, they have a purpose. They make me feel good. I enjoy them. Listen, we're not talking about an earthly purpose here today. We're talking about an eternal purpose. So often we'll put time, money, energy into physical things that, listen, someday we're probably never going to do again. But the reality is these men had a purpose. That purpose was not their hobby. This was not their hobby to travel and see people that they did not know. That purpose was not their children or grandchildren. They weren't traveling to another city to see their children or grandchildren. Listen, their purpose was Jesus Christ. I want you to notice three reasons why they would make this journey to see Jesus. Number one, they knew who he was. They knew who he was. Look at verse two. I love this. Matthew chapter two and verse two, the Bible says this, saying, where is he that is born, what? King of the Jews. King of the Jews. They knew exactly who this baby was. It was the king of the Jews. This is incredible. They knew that Jesus was the king of the Jews. They knew that this little child was here for a greater purpose. This was not just some ordinary child. This was not just another run-of-the-day opportunity for a child to be born. This was a specific, wonderful, powerful child. This was someone with something much greater involved. By the way, I love the fact that they went to Jerusalem. We know that Jesus was not born in Jerusalem, right? He was born in Bethlehem. We understand that. But I love the fact that they go to Jerusalem. You know who they go to? They go to Herod. Do you know who Herod was? He was the acting king of the Jews. He was the acting king of the Jews. They're asking him. They come to the acting king of the Jews saying, hey, where's the real king of the Jews? I love this. It's like walking up to somebody and saying, hey, I know you're in charge here, but I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the person above you. How does that make you feel? What a slap in the face, right? Man, come on. I don't want to see Herod. I want to see Jesus. Where is the king of the Jews? Again, we don't want to see Herod. We want to see the real king. So let's bring this into a little bit of a reflective question. Is Jesus the king in your life? Is Jesus the king in your life? Does he even hold a place of reverence? Does he even hold a place of respect 
I think many of us, if we're honest, we are far more like Herod than we are the wise men. Hear me out. This is Herod. Herod is frustrated. He is the king of the Jews. Why in the world would you ever come and asking for the king of the Jews? I am the king of the Jews. I'm here. I've been put in place by, by Rome. This is my position. I am here. Listen, hear me out. We think that we are the king of our own lives. We think that we know what we want. We think that we are the rightful heirs of our own destiny. Herod didn't even know that Jesus existed. What are you talking about, guys? That's me. And so when I ask you, who's the king of your life? You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Yeomans? It's me. When in reality, there's someone that's far greater, there's someone that's far better, there's someone that's far more loving that can rule and reign your life. I love it. Herod had to call out his own scribes and priests to figure out what these men were talking about. Look at verse 4. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Hey, where is this guy supposed to even be born? They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor. I shall rule my people Israel. This is a quote from Micah 5 and verse 2. And Herod was wondering, with all of Jerusalem, what was going on with this king? Who was this king? Listen, the wise men knew exactly who he was. The wise men knew that this was Jesus, the king of the Jews. He was the king. They didn't want to see a second-rate king. They didn't want to see the earthly king. They wanted to see the eternal king. They wanted to see, if, if I could put it this way, the king of kings. They wanted to see Jesus. Again, let me ask you this morning. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is, or is he just some other person born around Christmas time to you? Is he just a nice story? But everybody has a story. We have a little boy in our church that was born right around Christmas time. Is he just like that, or is he someone special? Is he someone different to you? Is he more important to you than anything else or anyone else? Listen, I think we seriously need to ask ourselves that question. Because most of us are actually like the people in Jerusalem. Most of us are actually like Herod. Who is this Jesus? What is he having to do in my life? I'm the king of my own life. These men were invested because they knew who Jesus was. Number two, because they knew who he was, they were anticipating him. They were anticipating him. Again, look at verse 2. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Watch this. For we have seen his star in the east. We have seen his star in the east. Can I put it to you this way? These men were looking for Jesus. They were looking for him. We, we understand these to be wise men. Wise men often look to the stars to understand what things were going on. We know a little bit about wise men from the story of Daniel. How Daniel would try to interpret dreams and the other wise men would try to interpret the king's dream, but the other wise men couldn't do it, only Daniel could do it. 
We understand a little bit about them, but I want you to see far before Jesus was ever born, these men were studying the stars, looking for this king, trying to understand who he was. They were looking in the stars, trying to understand it. Listen, they knew the king was coming. In fact, they had studied the Old Testament scriptures. They knew God would give them a sign, and so they were looking eagerly, anticipating the appearing of the star. Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Listen, they knew that a star was going to appear. They understood something, and so they were anticipating him, looking forward to seeing him. Again, this is obviously not the normal of the day. This is not the normal thing for the day in which they were living. There were not millions of people looking for Jesus. They were just going on with their lives, living their lives every day as they had before. Just living life the way they wanted to. There was no anticipation. There was no anticipation whatsoever that there was a Savior being born literally right next to them. Again, look with me in verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Watch. And all Jerusalem with him. Jerusalem, capital city of Israel at that time. Listen, big city, people, hustle, bustle, all of the things that happened in a big city. Listen, not one of them was anticipating Jesus Christ coming. They were living their lives. They were doing their thing. They were surprised by this news. They were not expecting this at all. And again, listen, our lives are often surprised by Jesus. Most live every day, and Jesus is just some meager, distant thought. Jesus is not the reason we get up every day. We get up every day to go to work. We get up every day to spend time with our family. We get up every day to spend time with our kids. We're too busy with our hobbies. We're too busy with our work. We're too busy with our daily schedules, eking out a meager existence. And Jesus is just a meager off in the distance thought. And when somebody says, hey, have you heard about Jesus? You go, yeah, I mean, there's some old prophecy written about him somewhere. But other than that, I don't really care. Listen, I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm talking about the church in here. We live our lives that way. Listen, this is Jerusalem. This is Israel. This is God's chosen people. The children of Israel. And they could care less that there was a king being born right next to them. Listen, ask yourself, do I care about Jesus? Do I care about him every single day? Am I anticipating? We talked about Mary and Joseph being expectant. An expectation. Today, are you anticipating Jesus to work in your life? Are you anticipating Jesus to show up in your life? Or is he just a far off distant thought? 
Wise men were so invested in finding the king of kings. They were eagerly anticipating his arrival. They were looking for it. They were consumed with it. And they saw his star in the east. Number three. Why did they make this trip? Number three, they wanted to give him what he deserved. They wanted to give him what he deserved. Again, look at verse two. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Because they knew who he was and because they were anticipating him, they were coming to give him what he deserved. When you understand who Jesus is, and you are constantly, eagerly anticipating him, when you finally come face to face with him, guess what? You have no other alternative but to fall on your knees and bow before the king of kings. Look at verse 11. And When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and watch fell down and worshipped him. No other option. No other option but to fall down and worship him. Listen, what an incredible sight. What an incredible action. What's a powerful statement to look at? And when they had opened their treasures, they present unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Extremely expensive. Extremely honoring, extremely forthtelling of the death and burial and the kingship of Jesus. Listen, they fell and they worshiped. They gave him what he deserved. I've been trying to compare this to Herod and to the other people of Jerusalem. You realize that Herod said, hey, let me know where that child is. Because what, what does he want to do too? I want, no, no. He said, I want to come worship him too. Right? That's what he said. Look at, look at verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Herod Man, he says all the right words, doesn't he? Oh man, Herod wants to come and worship him. He did not have this goal in mind. Some of you mentioned it earlier. He wanted to kill Jesus. We found out a little later in the chapter that God says to the wise men, hey, don't go back that way. Don't tell Herod where he is. Then he comes to Joseph and says, hey, you need to get out of here. You need to flee to Egypt because Herod's going to come down and try and kill Jesus this child. Herod's intention was to kill Jesus. Let me put it this way. To remove the competition. Listen. Again, you might never say that you would personally, physically kill Jesus or anyone. But we would say this. There is no way in the world that I'm going to give up the throne of my life. 
under no circumstances am I going to give up the throne of my life. There is no way in the world that I am going to allow someone to rule my life. And here's the problem. We will do, just like Herod, we will do whatever it takes to stay in control of our own lives. We'll kill thousands of young children, two years old and younger. What do you think he wanted to know when the star appeared? Not for information's sake. He needed to know what kind of span he needed. He needed to know how old the child was or approximate. He needed to know who he was going to take out because nobody is going to be in competition with my throne. Please hear this. We will often run as far away as we can from Jesus. We may never kill him. We may never even think about it, but we'll run. We'll stay as far away as we can. Oh, listen, you might still come to church. You might still celebrate the spiritual side of Christmas, but listen, you know in your heart Jesus is not the king of your throne, and you know that he is not ruling your life. He is not in any part of it. I want to run my own life, and I'll do whatever it takes to hold on to it. Listen, Jesus loves you so much. And he came to this earth to die for you. He paid the penalty of death for your sin. We have people running away from him. We have people trying to destroy him. Listen, the wise men knew who Jesus was and what he was going to do. And they were just coming to give him what he deserved. Fall down and worship. Listen, these were prominent men. These were not just some, some sages that were just doing nothing. Listen, these were prominent, wise men. They were next to the king. They were important people. And what did they do? They came, fell down, worshipped him, and presented him gifts. Because they knew who he was. And they wanted to give him exactly what he deserved. Again, I think most of us, would say, if I just had this opportunity, if I just had the opportunity to see Jesus face to face in, the, in that stable, and oh man, what a wonderful, powerful opportunity that would be to kneel before the King of Kings to be one of the first. What a wonderful opportunity. Of course I would bow. Of course I would humble myself before the Savior of the world. But here's the problem. We forget that Jesus is right here, right now, with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God. Jesus is here right now. He longs to be a part of your life. He longs to be with you. He longs to be an active part of your life. He wants to be along with you. But here's the problem. He can't be with us unless we invite him. He will never force his way into your life. But guess what he'll do? He'll just stand there and knock. It, it baffles me. We know the story of the shepherds. 
shepherds come. And you know what they did? They bowed. But you know what they did afterwards? They spread good tidings all around. Now again, please understand me. The Bible does not tell us whether anybody else came. But from Jerusalem, they had no idea. We know that the shepherds spread good tidings. We know that. Here's the problem that I believe people didn't care and didn't listen. But it took somebody coming from approximately 2,000 kilometers away to finally give Jesus what he deserved. They invested time, money, energy into Jesus Christ. The first Christmas was an invested Christmas. The wise men invested a great deal just to come and fall and worship the King of Kings. Gave up their time, their talents, and their treasures to the only one who deserved it. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Today, won't you invest this Christmas? I guarantee you, Jesus is knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice, I will come in to him and sup with him. and He with me. I left out a part. Do you know which one it was? Open the door. Will you open the door today to let Jesus in? Let him in to your life. Invest your life into the kingdom of God. And I guarantee you this, he will give you an eternal life in heaven with him. If you already know him today, continue investing. Continue giving him what he truly deserves. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Father, we love you. Father, to be honest, many of us, including myself, have just taken advantage. We've lived our lives the way that we want to, and we've done what we wanted to do, and we've kind of forgotten all about you. We'll even come to a Christmas Eve service and hear, O holy night sung, fall on your knees. We'll sit there and we'll say, oh, that was nice. Father, in our heart of hearts today, would you convict us to fall on our knees before you, realizing who you are, Savior of the world, the King of kings, wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Father, please convict our hearts. Father, if there's one here today, again, that doesn't know you, Pray that today would be the day they understand Jesus Christ and their need of salvation. We pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. Again, we often take time to make a decision. I always, always will challenge you to write a decision down. Write it down, cements it, makes it become more real. But maybe today you need to write down I am willing to invest my time, my talent, and my treasures into the kingdom of God because he is worthy. 
Whatever the decision you need to make is today, I hope you'll take some time to make it. Let's give you that time to do it right now.